0: Hello, my name is Jody Limott, and welcome to Dream Gardens, where we talk about the children's books we love. On this twice-monthly podcast, I interview other kids' books enthusiasts about their own favorite children's books. Just a reminder, again, uh, since I haven't mentioned it in a while, that uh, all new Dream Garden podcasts will now be posted on the first and third Monday of each month. So anytime you're wondering when the next one is coming, uh, just check your calendar. Now, for today, I'm going to be interviewing author Dan Richards. Uh, he wrote the recently released picture books Once Upon a Goat and Penny and Penelope, and he's also creator of the Stu Truly books. And we're going to be talking about the recent middle grade novel The Charmed Children of Rookskill Castle by Janet Fox. Uh, but first, as always, I'm going to start with a poem. Now, this one would probably be better for Halloween, which we're a bit past right now, but I'm still going to read it because I like it. Uh, It's called Our Pond, and it was written by Richard Edwards, and I found it in the poetry collection Spooky Poems, which was collected by Jill Bennett and illustrated by Mary Reese. Our Pond The pond in our garden is murky and deep, and lots of things live there that slither and creep. "'like diving bell spiders and great ram-shorn snails "'and whirligig beetles and black snapper-tails. "'There used to be goldfish that nibbled my thumb, "'but now there's just algae and sour, crusty scum. "'There used to be pondweed with fizzy green shoots, "'but now there are leeches and horrible newts. "'One day, when my football rolled in by mistake, "'I tried to retrieve it by using a rake.' But as I leaned over, a shape from the ooze bulged up like a nightmare and lunged at my shoes. I ran back in shouting. But everyone laughed and said I was teasing, or else I was daft. But I know what happened, and when I'm asleep, I dream of those creatures that slither and creep. My guest today is Dan Richards, author of the middle grade novel Stu Truly and its sequel Stu Truly First Kiss, which came out earlier this year. He also wrote the picture books The Problem with Not Being Scared of Monsters and The Problem with Not Being Scared of Kids and the recently released picture books Once Upon a Goat, as well as Penny and Penelope. You can find Dan's website at www.danrichardsbooks.com. I thank you for joining me today, Dan. Uh, thanks, Jody, for having me. Now, I mentioned that uh, you have a, a a new book, a new Stu Truly book uh, that's coming out, which is a sequel to the first one, and uh, which kind of deals with the trials and tribulations of uh, middle school crush. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about both the character and uh, his latest adventures in this new book.
1: Sure, absolutely. So Stu Truly is a middle school boy. He's in seventh grade. And... He's right at the moment in time when he's transitioning from being that little boy that, you know, was into playing with toys and playing with his guy friends and really had nothing to do with girls, to his world is suddenly sort of turning on its head. And almost against his will, he's discovering that he's got a crush on a new girl to his class. And it's his process of figuring out how to deal with that and kind of what happens, what happens to him and Becca, this girl that he has a crush on at the end of the first book. It's reached the point where they're both realizing that, that they do kind of like each other and coming into the second book, it's a continuation then of their story. And does that relationship continue? And Stu starts to be plagued by this worry that if it does continue, that they might kiss And he's very uncomfortable about the thought of kissing a girl.
0: And where did this uh, idea for the character come from? Were there like autobiographical elements or is it just observation of just kids that
1: age and how they are? (laughs) Probably not autobiographical elements that I want to admit to. But yes, absolutely. That uh, was a, a part of it. I think a part of the starting point for me was my memory Of how uncomfortable I was at that moment in time. Um, And I had a crush on a girl when I was in late elementary school for probably two years or more. Um, And I never acted on it. So I never told her. Um, In fact, I went to a high school reunion a few years ago, and she was there. And I thought, you know, now that we're both adults like i'm gonna I'm gonna own up to this and and bring it out in the open, so I went over and said hi to her, and said, "Hey, I just gotta tell you when we were kids, I had a big crush on you, and she looked at me and said, "Yeah, you told me that at the last reunion, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, what how could I have forgotten that and I you know suddenly felt twelve again, hmm. like that Awkwardness of that age, somewhere I think it carries with us forever. Um, But the second part of it is that when I was writing the first draft of Stu, and I really wanted to try writing something where the voice of it was what I was really going to focus on. This first-person, humorous voice of a middle school boy. So that's the thing that was kind of driving me in wanting to to do this story and what really got me into the the process of it. But at the same time that I was writing the first draft, my son just happened to be in seventh grade and I was coaching his uh, basketball team. So I was around him and this group of his friends like every week related to that. And it gave me such a great chance just to be like in the van when we were driving to practice and getting to listen in on the sort of conversations they were having, which I found to be highly entertaining and was really great for me to be able to draw from, excuse me, sort of a here and now uh, situation along with my memories from back when I was that age.
0: Mm, so t- so you're able to create a character, that, though it's based on older memories, uh, is, give it a more contemporary sort of what kids might say to each other these days.
1: Yeah, exactly. And and one of the things that stuck out to me is that they love to get into these conversations about uh, trivia, like uh, Guinness Book of World Records, or things kind of of that nature. And you could never tell what was true and what wasn't true, because <laughs> they they exaggerated a lot, and they would try to one-up each other. And I remember sitting in the van thinking, oh my gosh, when these guys get to be adults, are they going to have any idea of what the truth actually is? (laughs) Because of just the way they were interacting. But that type of flavor is what I wanted to help bring into the book, because that's, that's the realism of it, that boys at that age, they are funny, they have really funny conversations, they're not emotionally mature enough to really know how to deal with their feelings, so they tend to not. They won't admit to their feelings when they are having feelings. And I wanted Stu to convey all of that, that hopefully if a, if a boy is reading that story, that, um, that they're able to identify with the awkwardness that Stu is feeling and that when girls read the story, that it may give them a little better insight to what's going on in the heads of these boys that at that age are not good at being able to communicate it.
0: Be able to share a little bit about that uh, of the this uh, current book
1: yeah actually i thought maybe what i could do is i'm going to read the first chapter of Stu truly first kiss i think it gives a pretty good feel for uh what what's going on with Stu and his world at the beginning of this story and kind of where it's continuing on from the end of the first book so this is uh chapter one of Stu truly first kiss truth is I don't know much about girls. Not that I should. I'm only 13, and I still keep a lightsaber tucked under my bed. Until recently, I was just a typical middle school kid, without a care or chin hair in the world. But sometimes life throws the unexpected at you, like when a new girl comes prancing into your school and turns everything upside down. A girl unlike any girl you've ever known, who makes your mouth go dry, your words jumble up, and your thoughts go all wacky every time you see her. A girl who convinces you to do things. Strange things you would never in a million years have done before. Like agreeing to see Unbounded Love, the story of a soldier who loses his legs in the war, and the nurse who helps him learn to walk and love again. Don't they make a perfect couple? Becca asked, leaning close. I mean, I love going to the movies, but maybe I should have paid more attention to the title before agreeing to spend the first day of summer vacation trapped in a theater watching a war movie turned into a romantic pile of, yeah, perfect, I lied. Ben leaned close on my other side. He wiggled his butt until a wet, squelchy sound shook my seat. Here's what I call, he scooched again, another squishy sound gurgled up, a perfect couple. I should explain that Squim, pronounced like squid but with an M at the end, is too small to have a real theater. Our only movie house is a converted Presbyterian church located next door to the library. The seats came from some famous turn of the century theater that was being torn down in Seattle. They're so old, they still have real leather covers with real metal springs that make real intestinal noises if you know how to slide around just right. Ben's an expert. The two ladies seated in front of him turned with looks of disapproval. Kirsten punched his arm. You're disgusting, she whispered with a giggle. She slid back in her seat until a curdled hiss seeped out from beneath her. Ben and I doubled over. Sometimes Kirsten was better at being Ben than Ben, especially when it came to intestinal noises. I sat back up just in time to catch the climactic moment of the movie. The two main characters were locked in an embrace, their lips pressed together in an act of undying love. Something primal stirred at the thought of Becca sitting only an armrest away. I glanced over. The curve of her lips perfectly matched the heroine's lips on screen. The zombie warlord in my chest immediately woke up and pounded out a message in Morse code on my ribs. Run while you still can. I agreed wholeheartedly, if only my feet were listening. As usual, they were sleeping peacefully at the end of each slumbering leg, blissfully unaware of the danger looming above. I reached for my kneecap to slap some sense into it, but instead, my hand brushed against Becca's. It froze there as if held by some magnetic force. Ben's fist bumped my leg. I looked over to find him grinning. You the man, he whispered. Easy for him to say. Kirsten's hand had been locked in his since the movie started. Seeing them that way made my stomach churn. Shouldn't we be doing something more productive right now, like finishing level 33 of Death Intruders 4? Personally, I'd rather face a ravenous army of the undead than sit here trying to stop my hand from fluctuating between Arctic Cold and Saharan Sweaty. At last, the movie ended. Becca's knuckles slipped away from mine as we got up to leave. I let out a breath. I'm not saying I didn't like the electric charge of my hand being so close to hers. I'm just saying next time, I needed more warning so I could steady my nerves or at least slather my hands with antiperspirant. We exited into the warm afternoon. My hand still tingled from where her skin had been in contact. Things were happening too fast. I needed to go home and think things over. Maybe if I could slow it all down, I could make sense of how a guy could be lured to see a war movie and instead end up almost holding hands during a kissing scene. Let's go get ice cream, Kirsten suggested. Yeah, Ben and Becca agreed. So much for thinking things over.
0: It's all very complicated, isn't it?
1: (laughs) It is. I don't know that it's less complicated when you're older, but I think the sheer awkwardness at that age, you know, nothing compares. Oh, no. No, certainly not.
0: Uh, now, the um, you also, as I mentioned, uh, have two picture books coming out. Uh, one of them is Once Upon a Goat, uh, which is kind of a fairy tale, I guess you could say.
1: It's what uh, is called a twisted fairy tale. So meaning it has the kind of look and feel of a classic fairy tale, but with some sort of a twist that relates to mm. you know the here and now mm.
0: and is there a little bit of a preview you could give of of what the book's about i realize it's a short book and you want to give too much away but uh, what's <laughs> what's the general idea i guess of the book
1: yeah no no absolutely uh so it starts with a king and queen who are wishing for a kid of their own and they ask their fairy godmother and the fairy godmother delivers on her promise except when they go to their doorstep at the next full moon The kid on their doorstep is not the kid they were expecting.
0: And the other book that you have that just recently came out is Penny and Penelope. And uh, now this is not a fairy tale, although there is a princess involved. (laughs) True.
1: (laughs) Maybe I've got a thing about stories with princesses. I hadn't thought about that. Um, No, this is definitely a very different story. So this is really uh, about two girls that are on a play date, their first play date. And they both have basically the same doll uh, except that the way that they play with their dolls and the way that they dress them the way that they see them is very different the one girl sees her doll as being a princess doll and the other girl sees her doll as being a secret agent doll and the story is really about them figuring out how they can Play together in a scenario that at first seems like there's no possible way that they're going to be able to get along.
0: And, and it's interesting that both of these books came out very close to each other, um, which is kind of unusual for picture books uh, for that to happen.
1: It is, yeah. They're from two different publishers. So Once Upon a Goat is coming out through Random House, and Penny and uh, Penelope is coming out through Macmillan. So it's I can't say that it was a intentional effort between the two publishers. One of the books was actually supposed to come out last year, and it got delayed a little bit. Um, But then coming out the same month was a surprise to all of us. (laughs) Um, But it's also been really fun. And as a, for instance, I got to have a really kind of funny and fun moment that both books were picked as uh, Amazon Best Books of the Month for August. And so I, I got to have the very unusual kind of cool experience of having two books be on that list at the same time
0: oh very nice very nice now apart from having a, a, like a really banner year of having books coming out uh you're also do school visits um uh, from time to time and i'm just wondering uh, what can uh, you think what can somebody expect if
1: they uh, from a typical school visit from you yeah that's a great uh great question i've actually just been revising my school visits uh, specifically to reflect these books that have just been coming out. So I have two basic presentations, one that is geared towards uh, K-2, through two, and that's using primarily Once Upon a Goat and Penny and Penelope as the two books that I read to kids. And then we talk about uh, what it means to be different and to get along with people who are different And it includes a writing prompt where they get to envision their own Penny and Penelope story. And then the other presentation is geared towards uh, more upper uh, elementary and middle school. And it's using primarily the Stu Truly and Stu Truly First Kiss novels. Um, And in that one, uh, I talk about writing from personal experience and kind of explain how my own personal experiences uh, impacted the writing of both of those books and give kids a writing prompt where they can uh, look at writing a story that's based upon their own unique personal experiences.
0: Now, obviously, you know, you want kids to come away with something after you've done a presentation. Do you get something out of the school visits yourself
1: just from doing them? Yeah, I mean, there's probably two things. For one, um, I get to have a rock star experience. (laughs) It is, it's, probably one of the funnest things to go into a school because the kids are always so excited to have an author there and sometimes when you're an author you spend so much time behind the scenes you know I mean literally like in your office basically in the closet working on things struggling through the things you're stuck on the issues you're running into revisions the rejections that go on when things go out on submission all these things that are part of the process, but sometimes they're, you know, they're tiring. They can kind of wear on you. So going into schools for me is like a great energy boost uh, in, in just remembering that what I'm doing, the things that I'm struggling through, like are serving this greater purpose of getting, getting books into the hands of kids. The other part of it is I find every time that I do a school visit, there's something that I get from those kids, something I observe, something they say, some sort of interaction that we have that influences me directly or indirectly in my writing. So I kind of feel like going out and doing school visits is part of my research process of becoming a better kids writer.
0: Hmm. So you, you get a direct
1: uh, feedback from the kids who are actually reading these books. Of uh... You do. You, you get that sense of energy from kids like it's easy to forget that because as adults, we don't tend to operate that way. And, and, and I don't, especially when I'm writing. It's, it's a very like sit in your seat, you know, sort of effort that's going on. You go out and it, it reminds me of the energy that kids have. It also reminds me of the things that they know and they don't know and kind of where are they at different uh, age levels all of that really impacts me when I'm writing things of being able to understand my audience better. And when you're adult writing for kids, to a certain extent, you can use your own inner child to, to help you with that. But it really does help to be out you know, with kids. And especially now that my kids are getting to be a little bit older, I can't just do that being around them. So School Visits kind of supplements me in remembering, oh, that's right. This is what it's like to be in kindergarten, or this is what it's like to be in sixth grade. And I, you know, I need to remember that when I'm writing towards that audience.
0: Now, the the book you picked as one of your uh, favorite kids' books is The Charmed Children of uh, Rookskill Castle by Janet Fox. And this was actually published in 2016. Uh, For readers uh, who haven't read the book, and this was a new book uh, to me uh, when I read it, getting ready for this. uh, Readers who haven't read it, can you talk a little bit of what it's about?
1: Sure, absolutely. Uh, So The Charmed Children of Rookskill Castle is set in uh, England during World War II. And there are three kids that, as happened back at that time, they were sent to the countryside. In this case, they were sent to Scotland to get them out of London during the bombing. Um, So it's got that feel or that time period of, of England being at war. And It's about the experience that these three kids have when they get to this castle, which is supposed to be the place where they're going to be going to kind of like a private school uh, until things improve and they can return to London. But what they find there instead is that there's something much more nefarious going on that they end up needing to figure out what the mystery is, as well as how to deal with some dark forces that – are maybe as scary or scarier than the bombings going on in London.
0: Uh, the main character in this book is named Kat, and, and we get to know a lot about her. And it's, it's sort of uh, mostly her story that we learn about. And I'm just wondering, what is it about her that makes her uh, an interesting character that uh, we want to spend time with in this novel?
1: You know, I think, first of all, she's believable, And that's always the challenge when, again, when you're an adult writing for for kids, you've got to be able to be in the head of a kid the age that you're writing. And I think Janet does a really good job of making Kat feel like she's a believable 12-year-old girl that's going through a really difficult time period in which she's the oldest sibling. And she's supposed to be the one to make sure that her and her younger brother and sister are going to be okay. Okay. So to do that, she has to be very practically minded. And that's kind of her defining trait is that she's very practical in the way that she approaches life. And as things start to seem out of place or out of sorts in this castle, she's the one that's trying to bring this practical, hey, look, this is going to make sense. And I know it's going to be OK. We just have to figure this out, that it's not it's not actually that scary. We just need to understand it. But in the course of the book, the reader is realizing that that's not actually true. So the reader starts to understand that there's something more going on really before Cat does. So then you're getting to kind of root for Cat in the hopes that she's able to shift her thinking from being so practical to realizing maybe there's things that, that go on sometimes that are outside of that and that she's going to need to somehow come to terms with that to really be able to protect herself and her siblings.
0: I know the phrase she uses a lot, especially towards the beginning, is that um, old saying uh, from uh, the war, keep calm and carry on, which she repeats to herself, um, sort of trying to convince herself.
1: Yes, absolutely. And I think that it not only conveys what I think is often sort of a, a British attitude towards life when they're going through difficult times, But it also conveys the fact that she is the oldest and that she's been brought up with this perception that, you know, she has to be able to carry on in order for her younger brother and sister to follow that. That that's, you know, her role as the leader of the family when they're being sent to Scotland. And she's trying really hard to step up into that role. And it's part of what, as the reader, makes you feel for her because she's in this really difficult situation. You can... See and feel and hear how she's trying to be this oldest sibling that she knows her parents want her to be. And at the same time, she starts to question things herself and to get frightened, and she's struggling about... All of that. Now, in contrast to Kat, uh, the other main
0: character, antagonist, really, is Lady Eleanor. That's going to be hard to talk about her without probably doing some sort of spoilers um, uh, about (laughs) the novel. But what is it that makes her, because, you know, a lot of times in a novel like this, it's the antagonist, too, that's a really key uh, component of the story. And what makes her a really memorable antagonist?
1: Yeah, I think Janet does something that is really difficult uh, to pull off, but it's part of what makes this book for me uh, more powerful, is that she, over the course of the book, is explaining Lady Eleanor's story in such a way that there's a part of you as the reader that feels for what this woman has gone through and the decisions that she ended up making, while at the same time, you're disagreeing with the decisions that she's making and the impact that it's having on others. So she's a complex character because she's not just evil. She's she's worth feeling sympathy towards at the same time that you're feeling horrified about her. Hmm.
0: And we sort of have a, a, a back and forth throughout the novel. We get a little bit of... Um, cat story and then eleanor's story and it goes back and forth and towards the beginning we're not exactly sure how they go together especially with uh eleanor's story we're not quite sure how they all so it takes gradually a, a while for the novel to seem start to mesh together and we finally understand uh what's going on i'm just wondering that aspect of sort of keeping the reader a little bit in the dark, but um, as they're reading along, but interested in
1: the idea of
0: not spelling out everything um, right away.
1: Yeah, I I think the work that Janet did in this novel is a great one for someone if you're trying to study how to maintain mystery and suspense while also keeping the reader engaged so they don't get frustrated. And that's part of what's really difficult about a novel like this is you you want to keep the reader engaged but you don't want to be giving away too much or you're gonna lose their their interest at that point so she's interweaving kind of two stories that end up fully coming together towards the end of of the novel and the first time i read it you know i was just in the story and i was just really uh fully engaged. And I did not feel like I was really understanding until I got to the end. So that second time when I went back and read it, and I was trying to just remember, because it'd been a while since I had read it the first time. And at first, I was like, I don't know, I think maybe she's giving away too much at first. But I was like, no, it's not. As I get further into it, the pacing is really, really well done. And that is such a difficult thing to pull off. So I've actually met Janet now. I I got to know her uh, over the summer and I did not know her when I first read the book. Uh, And when I, when I did get to know her, uh, it was really fascinating for me because I was a big fan of the book. And it's always interesting to start to get a feel for the, for the person and the mind that's behind it. And she's like the sweetest, most mild mannered person so it was kind of a funny contrast to the fact that this book is a relatively dark, suspenseful, you know, borderline horror novel that I just found that really interesting. And and Janet, if you listen to this, uh, you cracked me up this summer because of the fact that you don't come across the way that I thought maybe the author of this book would. Hmm.
0: Oh that's fascinating, that's fascinating. Now uh, speaking of that, you says it's, it's a borderline heart it's actually it's a mix of a lot of different genres that there's a mystery story, a ghost story, maybe elements of horror. there's even a historical espionage thriller uh, mixed into all of that as well. Um, so just wondering just how does she take all these seemingly disparate elements and weave them together into creating uh, this particular story?
1: Yeah, I tell you, probably Janet needs to uh, answer that one in full because it is challenging. And I think it's part of what I like about the novel is the fact that there is this complexity of things going on. And she's layered multiple stories. There's definitely a primary story and a secondary story that are the two that are the most closely linked from beginning to end. But then if it was only those two stories, I I think the novel might actually uh, run out of gas somewhere in the middle it needed these other layers to really make this world feel fully three-dimensional and to to give you these different pieces that you're trying to understand and figure out so that it feels like a big, complex machine by the time it's all revealed. And it's part of the reason that I loved it so much the first time I read it.
0: Now. The setting is also a really sort of key element in the sort of world building that goes on here, both in terms of the time it's set during um, World War II and, of course, the main setting, which is uh, Rookskill Castle. I'm just wondering how she uses the elements of both the time and the place uh, to help uh, build uh, the world and the story that happens in it.
1: Yeah, I, I thought all those parts work together really well, uh, and, and it helps give you layers of suspense to it, because what's going on in the war, there's suspense just from that, and the, and the the way in which the war is being used in this story isn't about you know the battlefields of war. It's about the suspense that's going on behind the scenes during that time period, and that suspense creates this – I mean, it creates this great overall – Kind of net, and then within it, you've got the suspense of the story that's going on at Rookskill Castle. So again, you've got layers involved in this story. You have layers of uh, plots that are going, you have layers of what's going on within different characters, and you've got these layers of suspense that go from something really overarching like the war to something that's more immediate like Rookskill Castle. To the most immediate, which is what exactly is going on with these characters that are at the castle. Mm.
0: I always thought, too, reading it, that there's a sort of a theme of, a, of family in the story, uh, both family that's there and the absence of family and how it shapes um, who we are and what we do. Uh, thinking about the family we have and just the and family who is not there as well. And I'm just wondering what you, how you think she weaves that theme of family throughout the novel both uh in ways that uh, help and hinder the characters
1: yeah i think in kat's case you you've got the fact that she feels responsibility to her siblings that is part of what makes her interesting and what keeps you as a reader uh, holding on to see how is she going to be able to navigate a situation that seems so uh nearly impossible for her to find a way to navigate through it. And then you've also got the fact that these siblings are not entirely getting along and that they're kind of splintering as this story progresses and how hard that is for, for that family not to be really coming together at a point where in in a way they really need to. But then that's, that's juxtaposed against the lady Eleanor character because her backstory has a lot to do with family and lack of family and, and feeling like nobody cares about her. And I think that is probably where Janet does her finest work is giving this feeling of what it's like for someone who feels like really, they don't have anyone that really cares about them versus cat who ultimately really does have people that care about her, both her parents and her siblings. Uh, And, uh, how much it changes their ability to deal with a really difficult situation. Hmm.
0: Now, there are hints at the end of the story, and I don't want to give too much away, but uh, there are hints that the story will continue. And actually, looking on uh, Janet Fox's page, it looks like there is actually a sequel that's going to come out next year. Uh, I think you uh, Artifact Hunters of Rookskill Castle. Um, I don't know if you had any. Th- thoughts uh where you think it might or maybe you talked to her about this uh where you thought it (laughs) where you thought it might go particularly with this we haven't talked about and there's this mysterious character uh called the magister who we don't learn an awful lot about he's 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 very much a character in the shadows but uh i don't know if you had any thoughts of where you thought story might
1: possibly go (laughs) yeah that's an interesting yeah that's an interesting question um What I do know from talking to Janet is the way that that follow-up book is being developed is not meant to be specifically a sequel. So I don't think sequel is the correct term for it. But all that did for me was create more mystery around, well, what exactly then is the story going to (laughs) be? So I think they want the second book to be able to stand alone, whether you've read the first book or not, is what I think is the case. I'm sort of conjecturing here, so Janet's going to probably straighten me out if she listens to this. Um, I think they want the two books to be able to both work on their own, but I think there's overlap between the two of them. And the one thing towards the end of the book that, at least for me, was standing out is this sense of uh, there being artifacts, because there's artifacts involved in this story, but it comes across that there could be other artifacts as well as some of the same artifacts that are used in this book that potentially are something that both the allies and the Nazis are interested in and that there could be more to come that relates to, to that and how that could potentially change the course of the war and how the Magister fits into that. I don't know. Cause I felt the same way. I was like, he's a fascinating uh, character that you really never understand what his true motivation is. And that absolutely feels to me like that could come into play in in the next book. And I think it would be fun if it did.
0: Yeah, so you're not quite sure whose side, if anybody's,
1: uh, he's on. Exactly. My, my impression is that he is someone who's not on anybody's side. That he's probably a, a self-absorbed, uh, magical-type person. But what exactly that means, I don't know. Because that gets left kind of hanging out there. It's a great... Teaser for what's to come.
0: Oh, yes, it is. Yes, it is. Are there any uh, passages uh, from uh, this book that you'd like to share?
1: Yeah, I, I think that the mood, the tone, and the setting of this book is really paramount to conveying this sense of suspense and the risk of horror. So I thought I would read a little section here that for me was a really good, it's just a descriptive sequence. <clears throat> so there's no conversation that goes on in it. But Janet scatters throughout this novel these moments where she's really setting scene and creating mood. And without that, this, this novel would feel much flatter when you read it. But with those, uh, those places, those moments that she just takes time to really set time and place and mood, it, I, for me, it really helps pull me into this story and, and take me emotionally where she wants me to go. So this is an example of one of uh, one of those little scenes where she's setting the mood, setting the tone for this next part of the story. The old and new parts of Rickskill Castle were joined by a long, crumbling, covered parapet walk. Through the narrow windows, they could see the courtyard or Bailey below on their left. Dusty cobwebs draped the corners and what remained of the roof. The furnishings if there had been any, were long gone and the walls were exposed stone, cold and damp to the touch. Cat wished she had her cope, and the thought of Amelie and Isabel shivering in this chill made her pick up her pace. The ancient keep was as big as the new part of Rooksgill Castle. It was a tall, odd structure. From outside, it looked rectangular, but inside, as they found now, it was all stairs and angles and rooms and hallways jutting off into nowhere. And they'd open a door from one hallway to find another blank hallway, or worse, to find open air in a windowless shaft. Like the newer part of the castle, there was something at work inside this keep that made no logical architectural sense, a complex network of passages and stairwells.
0: Something always very appealing about uh,
1: castles with you know hidden rooms and hallways and things like that. Absolutely. I know I have a real desire to write something at some point that involves either a castle or like underground passages, because I've always found that to be just, you know, really engaging the sense of the dark, the unknown, and you're in sort of a trapped environment. And there's absolutely parts of this book where that's that's part of creating that mood, part of creating that, uh, that sense of danger for the reader is it, this feeling of it's it's dark, it's cramped, they don't know where they're going, and you're at risk that if you make a wrong step that you could like fall to your death kind of a thing. Yeah, that sucks me in.
0: <laughs> well, uh, Dan, uh, thank you so much for picking this book. It gave me a chance to read it, something I just uh, wasn't on my radar, and for talking about your own books and just uh, uh, talking to me about all of this today.
1: Sure, absolutely. It's been really fun. I'm, again, I'm uh, glad that you had me.
0: You can find Dan's website at www.danrichardsbooks.com Thank you for joining me on Dream Gardens. The theme music, titled "All Together" is provided courtesy of Purple Planet Music. You can visit them at www.purpleplanet.com Podcast cover art was created through Canva, which can be found at www.canva.com you can visit me at JLemont.com or follow me on Twitter at Dream Gardens JLM. The Dream Gardens podcast is also available through iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. If you like what you hear, please comment, share, or subscribe. And if you'd like to participate in a Dream Gardens podcast, go to the contact page on my website and send me a note telling me who you are and what book you'd like to talk about. And until next time, keep dreaming, keep growing, And keep reading.